Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 27. Today I'm speaking with Jeb Ori, co-founder and CEO at Phone to Action. We discuss how technology and politics are converging, advice for fellow entrepreneurs, and overcoming challenges of a SaaS startup. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Jeb Ori, co-founder and CEO at Phone to Action, a company doing some really interesting kind of civic engagement uh, work. And uh, I, I'm going to let Jeb talk all about it because he could do a much better job than I can. <laughs> so, so Jeb, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. It's really an honor. Uh, thrilled to be on The Best Techie and look forward to having a conversation. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about, before we get into like all the, all the stuff that you guys are working on and, and, and all about um, kind of social advocacy and stuff like that, tell us a little bit about who you are and what, you, what you're doing at uh, phone to action and what you've done in the past that, that may be relevant. Yeah, um, so grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, and I like to say uh, I, you know, I, I had an interesting upbringing because I had a Southern Baptist mother and a Southern Jewish father, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the product of that was uh, was a kid named Jebediah Marlowe Ori. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, so grew up in Texas, uh, and then uh, went to college at Stanford. Um, really enjoyed California. I mean, it's hard not to. And uh, when I graduated, I um, actually through college, I got involved in uh, lots of different public service initiatives. Um, I did a stint in the government. I worked in the Senate. I worked for an international NGO that supports social entrepreneurs. Um, so I really found that was a calling. Um, but when I graduated, I had to pay off loans. So I did a stint, a brief stint in consulting. Then I started working for this company that took me throughout the world. Uh, and I got to, to travel and work overseas in Asia, different parts of the U S. Um, and that ultimately landed me in Chicago, uh, where, um, I started getting more involved in technology. I'd always been, uh, in and around technology. I was in college during the dot-com boom and the bust. Um, but as I grew, uh, and as I kind of progressed in my uh, professional career, um, I got enamored with the startup community. So I was doing an MBA at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, uh, working full time, um, and uh, thought it would be a good idea to start up a mobile development, app development startup right after the iPhone uh, came out. Um, and uh, it was this amazing experience to create, we were creating products uh, for different entrepreneurs, people would have ideas, and we'd help them commercialize their app ideas. And that grew. Uh, we incubated a project in that company uh, called Five Degrees, which was the the next startup that I that I uh, worked at and ran for the next couple of years. And um, I learned how you can use mobile technologies to make people's lives easier. Uh, it wasn't any longer. This is now in what 2011, 2012. It wasn't about making a game for somebody to have fun with. It was about how can we leverage 
the amazing power in this phone to give them more technology so they can keep better track of their lives. Um, and it was, uh, it was in that company and when I was working there that I got connected to my co-founder, Hamina Hartsock, who was leading advocacy initiatives for an education advocacy group. And she's the one that had the problem. Uh, she needed a better way to connect people to lawmakers so they can advocate for policies. And when she pitched this problem to me, I connected the dots back to my you know, earlier passion in life uh, around helping people uh, that uh, wanted to engage on things but couldn't and leverage the technologies that I've been working on in my most recent career to map those together and create a way for uh, a company that was focused on mobile technology to policy solutions to be created. Right. So that I mean, that's that's quite the story. It's very interesting. I'm, I want to hone in a little bit on the relationship between you and the and your co-founder. Did you know your co-founder before, like, or before she came, kind of wanting to build some kind of app, and and or what was what was the relationship there? So it's it's a great question. Um, so my my wife got a job in advocacy, and she was working for um, uh, the same organization. And she was a lobbyist, so she would come back and, uh, you know, from states like Iowa or Nevada and talk about how a couple emails sent over the course of a weekend um, to a lawmaker would literally change the way that they were going to vote on a bill. Um, and that was a very powerful thing for me to hear. So then when uh, I got connected to Jimena, um, uh, it was it was just to, to talk to her about her idea, and I ended up drawing some wireframes. I already had a company I wasn't interested in, um, a new business. So I drew some wireframes and gave it back to her. Um, but she wasn't looking to start a company. She was just looking to have somebody build a tool uh, to solve her problem. Um, and you know, when that became apparent, I realized that well, maybe I should uh, actually you know, try to build it for her and see if that could work and that could be something that could be a useful thing to do. Uh, it turned out that it was and then um, you know, we proceeded to start to work together. We got into an accelerator uh, in Kansas City. Um, we were in the Bay Area. Uh, so we were working uh, in Kansas City and she was working from Virginia. It was very remote at the beginning like a lot of these things are. Mm-hmm. Um, and what started to happen Jeff is that we started to get uh, some contracts. Uh, we had a little, we had a prototype without a, um, you know, without an administrator portal or without a backend. Um, but we started getting some some contracts from different organizations and disparate organizations that were really interested in the technology and how it could help them solve their problems and help them mobilize people around issues. So we realized, hey, maybe there's something here. We should we should go in together and focus on something and try to make this try to make this into a reality. Gotcha. So tell me, tell me a little about. You had this outside interest for this prototype that you had uh, developed, right? Uh, tell me, tell me, like, what kind of use cases were, were these outside companies looking to to use your technology for? Like, how how did they plan? How did they want to partner with you to use it? Okay, so uh, when we founded the company in 2013, um, if you were to go talk to a VC about a company that creates technology for civic engagement, they would look at you uh, a little bit strange. Um, you know, there, <laughs> yes. there wouldn't be there wouldn't be this. Oh, okay, I understand why people would do that. Um, that's changed over the last couple of years. But in when we started the company, uh, imagine you're at an event, and this is in the relatively early days, four or five years in of the iPhone, 
and you know you have a, a group of people there to see a speaker, and it, it's it's about uh, it's about an, uh, you know some some kind of issue that people are rallying around. And the room is full of parents and teachers in this case. And a speaker like Senator Booker, for example, would get the crowd fired up, and then they would say, "Well, what can I do? How can how can we how can we take action?" And you know the answers that that he would have to give would be like, "Go home tomorrow and call your state senator because this is a state issue," or follow me on Twitter. And unfortunately, neither of those two answers give people something actionable they can do today. So if you don't people's if you did not meet people's needs right in that moment, they would have to go back to the regular lives and they would lose interest or forget or not have time to step up and step in and lean into whatever initiative they were talking about the night before. Right. So, and that's absolutely I mean just that's absolutely true. I feel like if you if you don't get if you don't get people while they're paying attention, um, you lose them very quickly thereafter. You know, that's right. The, the opportunity the opportunity to kind of to capitalize on that is very small. Uh, it's a very small window. That's right. So, so our platform solves two problems. Uh, the first is the problem of the person that wants to engage on an issue but doesn't know how and doesn't know who their lawmakers are. So our technology allows uh, people to, with very limited information, just their street address and zip code, to find out who their lawmakers are at any level and send them an email or a tweet or make a phone call so they can advocate for a specific policy. But then it also gives organizations, think like the American Heart Association or Patagonia, it gives them a powerful toolbox that they can use to create these beautiful, mobile, responsive, social-friendly campaigns that live uh, online. Mm -hmm. So you're, we're solving the problem of the organization or the company that's looking to mobilize people around something and that more you know fundamental problem for the constituent that really wants to engage but doesn't know how or doesn't know where to go. Right. So, so right now, as you're probably aware, uh, the uh, Brett Kavanaugh is is being uh, questioned by the Judiciary Committee of the Senate for his yes. confirmation. Yep. Uh, so, so people can use your technology. They can go to your website or whatever, and they can download. Uh, or, or or put up put in their information, their address, their uh, zip code, and find out who their senators are and who they should be contacting. If you know, uh, depending on how they feel about Brett Kavanaugh, uh, is that so? That's one kind of utilization of of your product right now, correct? That, that's right. Yes. Um, and another way to think about it is that many people are already on the mailing lists of uh, lots of organizations and nonprofits. Um, and, and companies like Uber or Lyft uh, that regularly engage their, uh, uh, you know, their their uh, supporters or consumers um, around things that are important to their organization. Right, right. As like in New York City, for example, recently Action there to to weigh in. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. exactly right. Um, uh, so people are using our technology right now to weigh in. Uh, and there's also a portal uh, on our website. Uh, there's a, a, uh, an area called Citizen Tools that lets anybody go and send a message to their state and federal lawmakers about anything they want. So uh, we look at uh, a number of different ways we can let people engage. We also have tools that people can use to check their voter registration, register to vote, find candidates, sign up for reminders about uh, you know uh, when when the the election day is and find their polling place. So in addition, all, to all very tools, important pieces of information. <laughs> that's right. Abs that's yeah, right. absolutely. Yep. 
So what what have you uh, just also going on this before we get to the next topic, which is going on going you know you've been doing this for for a bunch of years now, um, and phone to action has been a success, and and, and there are a lot of people use uh, it for what we just discussed, and also businesses are using it to integrate in, into their own social advocacy campaigns. What's one if you could take away one thing that you've learned so far? Um, just from from. In terms of getting people interested and in hooking them into, you know, a particular you know social cause, what's you know what what's what you know what is necessary to do that? Yeah. Like what what's the one one or two things that you need to do in order to be able to do that? It's so the way I think about it is that um, you have to meet people where they are. That's the most important thing. And then you have to meet them where they are with content that resonates with them. And the most successful campaigns that our clients run are ones that you know, convey a bit of a story uh, in educating people about why something is important. So the campaign that features an image of a, of a mother and talks about you know, her personal journey um, will have more engagement and higher conversion than a story that, and sometimes you know, the, the, the campaign that may talk about the big numbers of something, but doesn't drill down on an individual. And this is something we see every day. I mean, this is why including stories in what you know speakers are talking about ends up making a much richer experience for people to uh, to consume a story. I'll give you an example. So, the American Heart Association led a uh, a very uh, one of the pillars of their work across the United States has been to promote CPR training um, for high schoolers. And they want, you know, they, they believe that every high school senior should graduate knowing how to give CPR, having taken a CPR class. And they used to uh, frame this campaign in the big numbers of, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people that die from heart attacks each year. And while that had resonance, they found that it was hard for people to identify with any single heart attack, uh, or sorry, with any within with with the mat, the big numbers of the people that that you know that suffer from this. But then they focused uh, their campaign in New York a couple years ago around the stories of five parents who had lost children to sudden cardiac arrest, and they made those parents the subjects of the campaign. So when you used our technology to be patched through and speak with the Governor Cuomo's office, you actually heard one of the mothers who lost a child uh, explain her personal story. When you went to one of the campaigns on social media or online and you read about uh, uh, sudden cardiac arrest, you got to see a picture and hear a st- read a story about you know a parent that lost a child. So those that storytelling makes it much more real for people and it helps them, encourages them to let their own stories come out. So I think from a, from 30,000 feet, we focused on the end user, the person that's taking action. But to be effective, you have to meet them where they are and serve them up compelling content. The same way you would if you're a marketer trying to sell somebody a service or a, you know something online. Right. I also think that the, the what you just explained with the CPR uh, training and, and especially at a high school level, uh, the, the 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 approach they've taken in New York actually is much more relatable to the students because those the people who were affected by uh, a heart attack were young people, people who you who normally think they're invincible, who 
think that, you know, oh, that'll never happen to me until I'm way older, right? But no, it happened uh, to, you know, people of their yeah. age. I think that makes it much more relatable uh, and, and might drive the motivation for them to, to learn that if, if they know that their friend could be potentially uh, one to suffer from a heart attack. That's exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I totally, I totally agree. And I think that the technology that you've built uh, certainly enables uh, that kind of uh, advocacy, which is why I want to kind of change gears talking more about uh, how the technology uh, how, or how technology in general, and, and, and in addition to what you're, what you've built and politics is kind of converging, right? And, 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 and what that means essentially for, you know, individuals as well as businesses. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great topic, um, and you know I, politics has always been kind of the cutting edge, you know, the cutting edge ground floor for a lot of technological developments, um, especially around micro targeting and advertising. Right. And uh, you know you don't have to look very far, but uh, the the twenty sixteen election to see how platforms like Facebook were leveraged and um, you know you could use some stronger words for that uh, mm-hmm. by you know by various parties that were trying to elevate um, uh, you know the, the candidacy of, uh, of now President Trump um, but also you know use it do it by using issues as a wedge and that's just one small example uh, it's an, it's a prominent one but but a small example of how tech has been influencing politics. But for the last 20 years, um, you know, p- political campaigns, maybe longer than that, have been adopting and approaching uh, databases and different types of successful campaigns because you really need to have a, these days, a 360 degree view of, um, of a person or a voter. And if you think about it on the marketing side, a consumer, um, to be able to serve up messages that relate to that person that that they're likely to engage with because these days people um, are you know completely overwhelmed with technology and people are drowning in emails so to break through you have to do something that's more creative um, and can be something that that like grabs someone and shakes them metaphorically through technology so what that means for um, for individuals is that they are going to be continually served um, more and more uh, aggressive, but also customized campaigns that maybe micro-targeted directly at them by an algorithm. Uh, and you know, th- there's going to be a movement. There already is about uh, you know about people being able to opt out of this. But at the end of the day, um, most people are going to respond I think generally neutrally or positively to content that's customized for them because it's you know it's customized for them and it you know it may be calling them out by name and and giving them something that uh, that they can't get anywhere else and it will be engaging you know it doesn't have to be uh, some kind of sinister one-way street it could be a positive two-way street where people can get educated about things um, and maybe candidates let's say as they as they go um, for businesses, uh, this is really interesting. I mean, I think that uh, a great example of how politics or policies and technology are converging, you don't have to look any further than Patagonia. Um, so Patagonia, is a, uh, we're, we're a proud partner, and Patagonia is a proud partner of Fund to Action, and they have been one of the most vocal companies on social issues over the last years. And last year, they ran 
a very large and very successful campaign powered by phone to action that raised awareness and drove hundreds of thousands of comments directly to the Department of the Interior, uh, Secretary uh, Zinke's office. Um, so they, he could hear from people that were passionate about maintaining uh, and preserving the national monuments that have been designated right. over. I, the I, I remember that campaign before. actually. I had no idea that you guys were behind it. That was that's pretty awesome. It was it was it was a you know it was a really great honor to partner with uh, the you know the amazing folks at Patagonia and um, see how they were comfortable leveraging their brand and their brand equity into a campaign. And I think we're going to see more and more and more of that. Uh, we just saw, you know, Nike um, uh, put, I mean, you know, just by putting Colin Kaepernick into an ad, <laughs> uh, right. that yeah. is a, that is an act of defiance, right, by, by, by Nike. It's one way to look at it. I mean, it was, but it's, it's Nike uh, leaning into what their ideals are and what the aspirational goals of their business are. So we are going to see more and more of that, I think, uh, as companies realize that, Consumers have, you know, unlimited choices right now. If you want to buy some sneakers, you could go online and you could buy them from anywhere. Uh, you buy, you, you associate with a specific brand because of how that brand makes you feel. Um, so, you know, these clothing companies that have uh, really compelling products and rapid fan bases are a great proving ground for this. But I, I see this transcending um, and this, this concept of corporate activism I think will ripple through retail. It's already started to, but we're going to see more and more of that. Um, and it's also going to ripple through software companies, where you're going to start to see software companies create opportunities for people to engage on issues. Um, we were uh, we just finished working the Box, which is the you know the online file collaboration business. Yep. Um, they they uh, we we partnered with them at their conference, and they had their chief product officer G2 Patel up on stage. Um, uh, last week, uh, and, you know, asking, inviting people to text box to five two eight eight six to uh, access the phone to action campaign that uh, connected uh, people to causes by uh, three incredible nonprofits and let them donate or take action to support these organizations. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of what we're calling corporate activism, and this is a natural outgrowth of this confluence of politics and technology. I'm curious. If you have any particular thoughts, you know, as you know, Jack Dorsey and Sheryl Sandberg were both uh, in front of the Congressional Committee uh, yeah. today uh, speaking about Facebook and Twitter's role in uh, 2016 and just onwards um, with, you know, with regard to, uh, you know, Russian trolls and hacking and all that stuff. And, you know, one of the things recently, uh, there's been a lot of, I'm just, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this, on, on how Twitter and Facebook are, they're kind of going about it different ways, right? Um, but uh, whereas Twitter, for example, gave Alex Jones a one a one week ban where uh, Facebook and, I, and Apple, you know, removed a number of his podcasts from the platform. Um, and you were just talking about how these companies, you know, are, are starting to make um, potentially more decisions relating to their values, I guess. Um, as companies, yeah. um, what you know, what impact do you think that that that, that will ultimately have on on uh, on these platforms? If uh, if you if you if you have any thoughts on that, yeah, it's I mean it's a great question. I think the the open platforms 
have a really difficult challenge balancing First Amendment uh, rights with um, decency <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, uh, workforces that probably skew progressive, um, but the, the need to be a fair arbiter of, um, you know, uh, political opinion. So I, it, it's tough and, the, you know, there it's hard to make you can't make one-off decisions at scale the way you know the way Facebook or 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 uh, or Google or LinkedIn even or you know ha- have to do. It's it's very tough. You have to come up with a policy. But Alex Jones is a great a great example. So if you have somebody who uh, may be you know from time to time uh, <laughs> espousing uh, things that you know look and sound a lot like hate speech. Um, but he does not violate the terms of service of your platform. What do you do? Um, that's a that's a tough one, and um, a tough one for an open platform like like Twitter or Facebook. Right. And I think that you know you you can you may be able to make a call with him, but you'll get you, there. There are plenty of organizations that don't um, you know that may not or, or people that may not be as offensive as as Alex Jones could be, but still. Um, could, uh, could could ruffle feathers, and on the flip side, you could also have, and I think this is something that is interesting, you know, where, um, but uh, but 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 think of like a benign, you know, the church lady from uh, from Saturday Night Live to, to date myself, right? Imagine if Dana Carvey's character, the church lady, had a Facebook page, and she's like the 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 the, the, the most innocent person in the world. But if she were to violate Facebook's terms of service, even though it was totally out of character, and it's not something she'd ever do again. Should Facebook ban her? Probably, right? Because they have these terms of service that aren't designed to be violated. Um, but you know, is that out of character? And is she she a more benign actor than, say, someone like Alex Jones? She probably is. Um, it's just a very tough call. So, I've been seeing and reading a lot about um, the how telecom companies operate and how you know the ideal for a technology platform is to be viewed like a telecom, where they are not responsible for the content; they are the channel or the platform. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, I think people view Twitter very differently than they view, uh, AT&T or Verizon. That's Um, true. And I, I, I think that's definitely a fair, you know, a fair argument to make, but I I think the problem is, and I'm not sure if you agree, but is that that companies like Twitter and Facebook, uh, especially Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg have not really made that argument as clearly and cleanly as you just did. They've kind of danced around the the uh, you know danced around the bush a little bit and, and and they just you know they it's like they haven't fully decided what the exact approach that they're looking to take is yet uh, and they're no, kind of like biting biting for time. You're right. I mean, I, I think that it's it, it is, and I, I want to underscore it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult position to be in because you know anybody can create a Facebook account or a Twitter account. Um, you don't have to uh, give any like ID or authentication or anything like that. Um, so anybody, including actors, that you know a rational person would say, "Hey, those are those are bad actors." Uh, they can create um, you know Facebook pages or Twitter accounts, and their organizations can too. So um, that that's a challenge they have, and they're going to have to come up with some way to to monitor, and it's going to mean. You know, drawing a line at some place uh, for certain types of 
you know, of people that they deem bad actors and they're just going to have to take the blowback. And if that means like, you know, if that means, you know, being susceptible to people criticizing, um, you know, how the platforms administer First Amendment rights and freedom of speech, they're going to have to weather that storm. Because yeah. right now there's a lot of ambiguity and ambiguity doesn't help anybody. It, I think they, you know, you try to muddle through, that's what they're doing. But again, as you know, hundred, two hundred billion dollar companies in Facebook's case. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I hundred percent agree with you on that. I, I think, I think, uh, I think it's well said. Um, I, I, I like the way you kind of described it before with the telecom com- telecom companies. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, at the at the end of the day, they kind of have to decide uh, whether they want to go that 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 track or 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 another and if it's the other then they have to like you said kind of handle the blowback uh when it when when a situation arises that they have to remove someone from the platform yeah or a company or whatever um but yeah i mean i we could talk about this for hours i'm sure but i I have one i have a bunch of other topics i'd like i'd love to get to with you so you've you're built you've built a SaaS business um that's right and I'd love to kind of get your your thoughts on the challenges of running a SaaS business, and how you've how you've overcome those challenges. Um, I I read a lot of um, leaders in the SaaS field that have you know built uh, massive SaaS operations, and one I follow is Jason Limken, who writes Saster. I don't know if you've yeah, seen or followed yeah, him. No, no, I, he's he's excellent. Uh, if you guys, and if anyone's listening who hasn't checked out Saster, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a wonderful uh, website, and they also put on a great conference, which I've been to a few times as well. Yes, uh, so absolutely, yeah, yeah, I've, I've had the pleasure of going too. So, um, you know, Jason talks about the the journey from one to ten million is impossible to inevitable, and I I think that you know the the most important thing to it's it's not quitting and it's keep going. Um, and it's always finding a way to, to, to satisfy and protect your customers. Um, especially if you're B2B, you know, you're, you, you don't have the luxury of having hundreds of thousands of customers. You have at the beginning days, you know, tens and dozens of customers. We have, we have about 500 customers right now and we have to keep every single one of them close and take every single request seriously to make sure that we are providing the best possible product because the other thing that's happening in SaaS is that barriers to entry are going down. There are more and more middleware plays that you know uh, companies are creating products that you know make it easier for other companies to create their products and build upon. So right. barriers to entry are decreasing, and um, you know you have a lot of people that are interested in getting involved and. In our field, we see this all the time. You have people that are very passionate about causes or issues that um, start to tinker around the edges on technology, and you know can could, can create something that's really cool that we need to look at and you know try to figure out how that fits in the marketplace. But that doesn't mean their business is going. They even have a business, so they're going to be around. I think that the biggest challenges, so if I have to synthesize, and in, in running a SaaS business are figuring out how to manage scale, uh, increasing the you know, size and number of users that you can serve effectively in your platform and finding talent, um, which is probably a challenge in any industry. But in SaaS, you know, it's especially um, important because there are very different roles for different sizes businesses and you have to make sure you get the right people uh, at the right time to help your company inflect. Right. No, I I, I can't, I couldn't agree more with you on that. I think 
I think, you know, another thing that, you know, comes down to is just building a product that people love. But, you know, at the same time, you think about, like, all these middleware plays, right, uh, that are going on. And these businesses may be nice businesses, but they may not be, you know, uh, businesses that eventually go public. They may be acquired or something like that. Uh, and, and in fact, if you think about one company that that's that's going that's uh, recently uh, announced it was going public was Dropbox. And think back way back to when Steve Jobs was still alive, and he and he was telling Drew Houston about how uh, you know his his company was a was a feature, not a company. <laughs> <laughs> um, which which to which to you know which to a certain degree you know they've had they've had their fair share of competition, but they also have figure out a way to make it work they still have you know millions of subscribers people who use dropbox daily um but yeah i mean i i i totally agree with what you're saying and i think that when it comes down to it is you know when you're building a SaaS business you know you have to kind of really truly understand i guess what they call product market fit right uh who are you trying to serve and how do you best serve them uh and and, and that's really kind of once you've found that kind of magic sweet spot you know you, you you can really scale it from there that's right well didn't henry ford say he didn't think that people would want any color car besides black <laughs> I and, think yeah i think so and i you know i've seen you know uh, prognostications that their total market for computers in the u.s was like a hundred you know like yeah, yeah. It, i think that um whenever you make a statement like that you're people are going to try to prove you wrong i'm sure that irked Drew to no end, and he <laughs> said, "I'm going to show you, Steve Jobs," and, and he right. did. Right. No, absolutely. Um, so we talked. You mentioned this in, in passing and, and during earlier in the conversation about back in let's say 2013 or something or 2012. You know, if you went to a VC and it was like, "Hey, we're we're building this social action platform, uh, and we're looking to raise some money. Are you interested?" <laughs> and they would kind of look at you kind of funny. Um, what you know if you went back today to, to a vc and looking to raise money what do, you, what do you think the difference would be if any and uh what you know what's some of the biggest surprises you've encountered while raising money um so i think the uh you know i compare my experiences with this company and my previous one five degrees so and it, and to answer that first question if we were to go back today um you know people would 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 point to platforms like ours and say, okay, what, what are you doing that's different than these guys? And, you know, how are you going to go get your first 50 customers, your first 100 customers, your first 10 customers? Um, because there, there's now a clearly defined market for what we do. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this because we've inspired a lot of people that, you know, to enter the industry that were doing entirely different things years ago. Um, so there absolutely is a market and it's a market that is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, you know, 50% of our new partners last year had not previously used an advocacy solution. So, um, you know, when which you think actually, about which, that. Right, which is one of the things I wanted to ask you also. So, so you see that increase. You think that's in, in part or uh, in full because of uh, the, the 2016 election? Do you think that has revved up your business a bit? Um, well, certainly, there certainly is a Trump effect, um, mm-hmm. and I think it shows in utilization. And you know, we, we, we did a, a study where we looked at some cohort analysis, and we found that 
the Trump effect uh, translated into about 36% net new advocates for our clients. So if you had a phone to action account in 2016 and you had a phone to action account in 2017, controlling for everything else, you should have seen a minimum of a 36% increase in the number of people that engaged that, with one of your campaigns. That's pretty insane. So that's that's the Trump effect. Um, I think on the the VC side, you know what, what's happened over the last couple of years is that the bar for you know funding has gotten higher. The amount of revenue you need to get Series A uh, is now pretty substantial. I mean, it has to be a, probably a couple million dollar run rate, mm-hmm. um, and or maybe a seed is even you know close to like a hundred thousand dollar run rate. Uh, which is, you know, that's a pretty significant business hurdle. You know, you have to really have something. Um, although there's also been a corresponding increase in angel funding and in accelerators, which have been hot. And, you know, I, I don't know if they're still hot, but they certainly were hot when, when we were around and getting started. Um, so I think that on the VC side, the most surprising thing is that um, VCs really just want to see, I guess the most surprising thing is that it hasn't really been surprising. Uh, venture investors want to see a really solid business um, that is growing uh, very quickly with a business model that is easy to articulate and uh, a big enough market for them to be able to see how they can get outsized returns. Mm-hmm. Private equity, uh, they want to start from a you know from a larger company base and they need a slightly smaller uh, market to make an investment, but they're also making a much lower risk investment because they're investing in your company when you're 10, 20, 30, 50 million dollars in revenue, not, you know, half a million or a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right. No, exactly. Changing gears slightly, I'd, I'd like to uh, talk about for, for younger people or just people in general who are looking to get into civil engagement campaigns and social advocacy, what are some of the things that they should know? Well, I think the, the 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 most important question is just what asking someone what do you care about? Mm-hmm. Is it you know do, do you care about foster care? I, I, I met a great entrepreneur who started a nonprofit called Think of Us, which helps um, support uh, foster care on adults that are fostering children. Um, and this is something that he was passionate about. And he was actually featured on stage at Box's conference last week. Um, and, you know, so some people are moved to go start uh, organizations and nonprofits. Not everyone has to do that. There, there are, uh, you know, 1.5 million nonprofits in the United States. So if you feel passionately about something, do a Google search and you'll probably find an organization of, of people that are already working on that issue. And it's totally fine to go join that organization and help there. Uh, that doesn't, you know, just because you're not starting a brand new organization doesn't mean that what you're doing is not incredibly and immensely valuable. Um, right. So I think that's an important line to draw. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I think they should just know that they need to listen to themselves, follow their hearts, and go find a productive way to channel the, that energy. Cool. One of the other questions I had in terms of the phone to action campaigns that you have run uh, to date, what's one you're most proud of? I, I know you mentioned the Patagonia one before. Uh, do you have another one that you would that you could share with us? Yes, um, definitely proud of uh, the work that Patagonia did um, and the, the scale and the reach of that campaign. But um, 
<clears throat> I think that uh, you know the the work we've done with the American Heart Association um, has been incredibly rewarding, and the CPR in schools campaign they ran in New York. I, I skipped the punchline. They were successful. They got the bill passed, and now CPR is something that is. Um, mandatory for all graduating seniors in New York. Uh, it's a direct result of the campaign they ran because they were working on this for 15 years. Wow. And when uh, you know when when they when we partnered together, they used our technology and they leveraged our social media communication tools and our patch through calling tools and those powerful stories I mentioned before. And they were able to <clears throat> completely reframe the conversation. And they ended up getting the governor to sign the bill and the bill through the House and the Senate. Uh, so that was a huge deal. It's a campaign that we are, you know, remain very proud of. Um, and there are, you know, hundreds of others. Our technology has powered more than twenty-five thousand campaigns. Awesome. Well, that's 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 really impressive. I think the work that you guys are doing at Phone to Action is is uh, super important. I think the the partnerships you guys have. And it seems like it's only growing, which is great, considering now more companies are getting involved in their own kind of social uh, initiatives. Um, before we get to the lightning round, I have one last question for you in terms of you're, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. What's the best piece of advice you could give a fellow entrepreneur? Keep going. <laughs> get, <laughs> get back up. Uh, pick yourself back up and keep going. And... It, you have the presence to know that the highs um, aren't really as high as you think they are, and the lows aren't as low as, they, as you think they are. That's 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 actually a really uh, true statement. I think it, it, entrepreneurship is very much a roller coaster, and and you just got to keep you just got to keep riding that roller coaster. Uh, yeah, you know, and I think I think it certainly helps if you're passionate about what you're doing. Uh, you just got to stay on the roller coaster. That's yeah. exactly right. You yeah. got to stay on. If you, if you get off the roller coaster, you'll never finish. Right. You'll, and you're, you probably won't get back on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's right. Because it's, it's, it's a tough ride, but if you can stick it, if you can stick it out, you know, I think that's, where, I, I that's think, what makes all the difference. I also think, and I say this being right in the middle of it, I think a journey is probably better than the destination, no matter how alluring the destination seems. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I don't think you realize that until you get there. Yeah, I, I totally am uh, with you on that. I think, you know, I, one of the things that I always had trouble with, and I still do, to be honest, is kind of recognizing in the moment when when there's been a success, right? Whereas, you know, because as an entrepreneur, as the founder of a company, you're always like, all right, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And sometimes I don't spend enough time kind of like celebrating some of the small wins along the way. I think that's important to do sometimes. That's exactly right. Cool. Well, Jeb, I really appreciate you being on. If you're uh, so now, it's time, as I mentioned, for the lightning round, which of course is supported by Wix, where you can create a professional website today at wix.com. That's wix.com. So, Jeb, whenever you're ready, we'll get started. I'm a little nervous, but let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Would you ever go skydiving? Yes. Have Have you ever gone skydiving? Have not. Okay. Uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime Video? Netflix. You know, I just I just recently watched, or I'm at, I have one episode to go of Jack Ryan with John Krasinski mm, on Amazon yeah. Prime. It's the it's the first Prime Video that I that I've watched ever. Oh. Um, but they have this feature in the Prime Video app 
called X-Ray, which is powered by IMDB. Uh, and it's actually a really nice feature. Like, it tells you, like, little general trivia facts and things like that about, like, sometimes filming location or, like, what kinds of things they're using in, 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 the, in the scene. It's, it's really interesting. I wish Netflix had a feature like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's, what's the metric that you keep a close eye on for your business? Monthly recurring revenue. If you were going to be stranded on a desert island, what's one thing you'd bring? My wife. Okay. That's a, that's a good answer. I'm sure she'll like that one. <laughs> um, and last question for you. Here we go. Batman or Superman? Well, I have two daughters, so I'm going to say Wonder Woman. Okay. We can go with that. Keeping in the DC comic universe, you could do that. <laughs> nice. Well, Jeb, Jeb, it's been really, really great having you on. I really enjoyed our conversation. If Thanks, anyone Jeb. wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can uh, text Jeb to 52886. That's J-E-B to 52886. Or hit me up on Twitter at J-E-B-O-R-Y. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jeb. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.